0: Welcome to the Aroma of Christ podcast, brothers and sisters in Christ. I am Ryan Brown, the pastor of the Foster Warrior Baptist Church, and the hope behind this podcast is to do nothing in any way to replace regular gathering among God's people. It is for the sake of mutual encouragement of one another through the singing and preaching ministry that we gather. But if you do happen to miss a week and want to keep up in Matthew, or if you Want to re-listen to a sermon because it was particularly impactful or particularly confusing? This podcast is available to you, and so we continue on the aroma of Christ sermons from the pulpit of Fosteria Baptist Church. Our scripture reading this week comes on the heels of the Pharisees asking for a sign. They're showing their unbelief in, in God, really, but unbelief in the identity of Jesus as the Messiah and as the Son of God by asking him for a sign, even though he's saying he's already given them plenty of reason to believe. And then comes Jesus, alone with his disciples, telling them to beware of the leaven. And they end up following prey to the same trap of the Pharisees in this instance. They end up thinking that, oh, we forgot bread. Jesus isn't able to provide. We must doubt something about this and not trust in the Lord. Instead, they are of little faith ones. Little faith ones. A word that Matthew uses in order to communicate... When someone is losing faith in the provision, loving provision of God. And then they eventually understand that he was warning them of the teaching. He was warning them of the doctrine. He was warning them of the disbelief. And as we will see, he was warning them of more difficulties in their doctrine and teaching than just little faith. Matthew 16, verses 5 through 12. And when his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. Which? When Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves because ye have brought no bread? Do ye not yet understand, neither remember the five loaves of the five thousand and how many baskets ye took up, neither the seven loaves of the four thousand and how many baskets ye took up? How is it that ye do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. You can go ahead and turn with me to Matthew again. This time to Matthew chapter 23. Sermon text today is verses 1 through 12. Jesus' warning... Jesus' warning that we've already read about the doctrine the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees show that he thinks that it's a possibility that his disciples could fall into the same Pharisaical spirit. So it is with that understanding and that reality of needing to look inward to the possibility of how that attitude could come into us. That we begin the woe oracles against the Pharisees. The crowning point of this narrative of increased tension between Jesus and the Pharisees and religious leaders as a whole. Where he announces judgment against them. He begins then in Matthew 23 verses 1 to 12 like this. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore, whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works. For they say, and do not. For they bind heavy burdens, and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries, and enlarge the borders of their garments. And love the uppermost rooms at feasts, and the chief seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the markets, and to be called of men Rabbi, Rabbi. But be not ye called Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father, which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Yahweh God, we ask that you would direct our hearts at this point in time. Through your spirits, you would cause us to understand and live in light of the words you provide. Help us, Lord, to feel the conviction. To feel the power, and to feel love for you coming out of an understanding of how you warn us. How you warn us about how you want our heart, How you petition and beg us to pursue you wholeheartedly. Relationship. Intimacy. Father, direct us in this. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. It's not about us. It's not about any of us. This is ultimately what Jesus communicates and begins to teach at the beginning of these woe oracles, this introduction to them. That it's not about us, it's about him. It's about he who is the true successor of Moses' seat. Devout Jesus, the son of David, and yet David's Lord. A bulk of our sermon will be looking at verses 2 through 12. We'll be looking at it under the headers, the words and works of the Pharisees, and but as for y'all. But verse 1 is inspired by God too. So it does well for us to take note before we get into those headers that Jesus begins by speaking to the multitude and to the disciples. He's not immediately coming in to talk to the Pharisees. He's coming in to talk to the crowd and even those who have made a step of commitment towards him. So what he first says about the Pharisees Is stated as a warning to committed followers, stated as a warning to people like us about how Pharisees work and how we ought not to be like them. Verses 2 through 7 provide the first context, the first heading. The words and works of the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore, whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. To make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at feasts. And the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Jesus begins by talking about the scribes and the Pharisees and their alleged location in society. They sit in Moses' seats. And in light of that, he then says that there's some states in which you want to reference the position they're in. And so what they bid you to do, that you should indeed practice. But there's something a bit strange about what he's tr- saying within it. He'll talk about and use the same word, observe, practice, and do. And he'll give commands about what should be done Twice. This first one, telling us to do what they say, he puts in one tense. Puts it in the aorist or past tense. And then when he later will say to do not do after their works, he puts it into the present tense. And that's a beginning of a key. But he's not meaning the commands in exactly the same He doesn't precisely say the same thing in saying, do this, do this. After all, the first command tells us to listen to their teaching and to observe it. But Jesus has made it pretty clear that he doesn't agree with their teaching. And he thinks their teaching is wrong. it's based off of men's tradition rather than scriptural position. Made that clear in Matthew 16, 12. Beware of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Unless Jesus is to be a hypocrite, he couldn't possibly be saying beware of the teaching and obey the teaching at the same time. We can roll out the conclusion that Jesus is a hypocrite. So it have to be left with wondering, what is he saying? What is the force behind his words that they sit in Moses' seat? Therefore, we're to do what they observe. And the answer I think we have to come to is that it's sarcasm. And when we're interpreting the Bible according to its genre... When we interpret according to its genre in this setting, we have to interpret it according to the genre of sarcasm. Look at the scribes and Pharisees. They have sat themselves in Moses' seat. Therefore, it is the proper thing to do what they tell you to do. But even verse 4 is going to tell you that what they tell us them to do is to bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne. Going to be showing the reality of the failure of teaching. Or think about Matthew 23, 16. Woe unto you, you blind guides. They've sat in Moses' feet. They've taken upon themselves to continue on in the tradition of Moses, and they have taken on the authority of Moses, and yet they don't even do what they preach. Jesus can, without sarcasm, say, do not do after their works, do not practice them, do not imitate their faith. For what they say, they in turn don't do. COVID-19 came in, had lots of political discussions in 2020, and more than one public official would endorse something like a shutdown and then go do unnecessary travel. More than one politician would say we need to wear masks and only be around people we absolutely need to be and then go and visit their girlfriends. They said one thing, didn't practice it, and they lost credibility. They lost the reality of being able to then say anything of significance. They didn't practice what they preached. Beyond that, Jesus says, going back to their teaching itself, that they place heavy burdens, hard to carry, place them on the shoulders of people, watch them buckle under the weight. Watch them walk down, struggle, be pushed down, and fall down. And they wouldn't even move the burden with a finger. They placed it where it didn't belong, and that's where they were going to leave it. Not even one finger was going to move it off of anyone's back. The Pharisees place burdens hard to bear place it upon people's backs, and watch as they suffer with it, offering no help at all. That's how they attempted to use Moses' seat. There's a thing that's intentional in teaching. A thing that I can sometimes have to work through and push deeper into. The thing in teaching that goes through and thinks about application can't tell someone directly how, in your particular life, certain biblical principles have to be applied. But what teachers can do is start to provide a a helpful guide to think, well, how would this apply in this type of situation? Start getting the ball rolling on how the biblical truth does affect day-to-day life. The Pharisees and their teaching place heavy burdens upon people's backs and don't help them with it. I think part of the goal of having application in teaching, I think part of the goal about talking about how the biblical truths make sense in particular contexts, is that when the Bible places a burden or yoke upon us, when the Bible tells us a command to do, we're not left fumbling trying to figure out how to do it. There actually is help within it. You have that type of context and reality in formal teaching. Certainly, you have it in informal teaching too. Certainly, you have it when we're having conversations with one another and there's something that I think you should be doing or that you think I should be doing. Certainly when Joe Schmo is talking to Ruthless Ruth about something that Ruthless Ruth needs to do, Joe Schmo shouldn't just say, here's the standard, good luck, but actually come on provide grace for the failure that's found to happen, and continued instruction, perhaps more conversation about what the standard is and why the standard should be there, perhaps resources to allow it, but not just, this is the standard because I believe it to be the standard, and that's the end of the discussion. Get in line or move on. If we hold people to a particular standard, we ought to help them reach it. And sometimes that's really hard because sometimes the standard in the discussion is that you need to be present. Sometimes it's you need to do something that's causing a little bit of difficulty and strangeness. Sometimes it requires going with someone to a difficult position. A difficult place in order to ensure that it gets done. But as we continue to think through this binding heavy burdens and not helping, I think we need to know that the burdens themselves are a problem. The Pharisees are laying upon these hard to carry burdens and putting more upon the backs of God's people than God himself would do. Turn back with me to Matthew chapter 11. There in Matthew 11, Jesus describes his own condition of heart and his own invitation. And he describes the burden that He himself lays upon his people. And in Matthew 11:28, Jesus says this to us, "Come unto me." All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. possible, that you're in the hearing of my voice, and you've never come to have faith in Jesus Christ, and perhaps different things that have happened in your life have caused you to be concerned about what heavy of a burden it might be. After all, people have hurt you. And, after all, the gospel tells us that we who are saved by it are still sinners who sin. And still undoubtedly can hurt. If that is so, come to the meek and lowly. Come to the gentle and lowly Jesus Don't let anyone's judgmentalism, anyone's pharisaism, prevent you from coming to the one who doesn't give you a heavy burden, but gives you a light and easy burden. Who gives you rest for your souls. Who doesn't try to give such a burden upon you and then watch mercilessly as you suffer under it, but who gives you the burden that he himself has already carried. And will continue to help you carry. So in some sense, we are born with the burden. It can be placed upon us in terms of expectations of how we ought to live, but we are born with a burden of sin, carrying it around with us everywhere and watching it fall down and bring us to nothing. We're born with the burden of sin and should lead us to death eternally. And Christ took that burden. He took the cross and he carried our sin to the cross, nailed it there when his body was nailed there and died so that we would have life. Rising again, he gives an easy and light burden to any who would come to him and find rest for our souls. So find rest in Christ. Come to the one who has borne your burden of sin and borne the cross. Take the light and easy burden that he himself will help you with throughout your entire life. You know, at times during this Matthew series, I thought about how I would label it and title it if there was a time in which it made sense to do so, God with us. In Matthew 1.23, it's promised that his name would be called Emmanuel, God with us. Throughout the Gospel of Matthew, there is Jesus, God with humanity, God with us throughout his life. And then he ascends into heaven and says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. He didn't bear our sin burden, ascend up into heaven and be done. He died, raised again, and by his spirit still dwells with his people Carrying the light and easy burden alongside with us. Unlike the Pharisees, he helps lift the burden. Unlike the Pharisees, he carries a bigger burden than he puts upon us. Unlike the Pharisees, he's gentle and compassionate. And unlike the Pharisees, he serves Yahweh. And looks for Yahweh's approval rather than for the approval of others. Verses 5 to 7 again reads But all their works they do to be seen of men, they make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men rabbi rabbi perhaps you could protest Thinking about Jesus' charge about how they don't practice what they preach. To point out all of the works they do pride themselves in. They give their tithe of mint and cumin and dill. They pray on the straight corners. There says some service and works they do. And Jesus says these are useless. Because these aren't done for the Lord. These are to be done to be seen of men. These are to be done in order to court the approval. Because unlike Jesus, they do look on the face of men. They do look to be praised and applauded. They didn't get recognized for it. Did it even count that they did it? And Jesus begins clarifying that by saying that they make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. Phylacteries is a way of talking about boxes that the Mosaic Law describes in Exodus 13 and Deuteronomy 6. Boxes upon the head, frontlets, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, and boxes upon the hands. It's unclear whether this was intended to be taken quite so literally as to actually have the boxes there, but it is definitely intended to transform or to remind us that there should be a transformation of what we see and what we do in light of the Word of God. What's interesting, though, is that this word phylacteries is not a word you'd find in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's actually a pagan word for a lucky charm. And it seems that that's exactly what it is to these Pharisees. Not a symbol of their devotion to the Lord. Not a symbol about how their whole vision and all of their actions are transformed by God's words but ultimately just a box, just something they're supposed to have, just a lucky child. And then beyond that, he highlights the borders of their garments, fringes, tassels, these are the four-inches or tassels, the corners and just outer edges of the garment that the woman with the issue of blood just touched and was healed. For right, The Pharisees not quite the same. Because though in Numbers 15... The fringes and the tassels are determined again to show devotion to the Lord. For the Pharisees, they're a sign of ostentation. They're a sign of splendor, and grandeur. They're an opportunity to show off, rather than to remind themselves of devotion to Yahweh. Remarkably, remarkably easy to take things that are supposed to be devoted to Yahweh and signs of our devotion to Yahweh and make them about us and about what people think of us. That's part of the reason I think why so many of us can feel nervous. Praying in public. It's not necessarily that we struggle with prayer itself. Maybe we struggle with not wanting to make the prayer about what other people hear. Maybe we struggle with wanting it to match all of the flowery language that we hear in other people's prayers. But public prayer is not about flowery language or what other people are thinking. The other people matter for it because the whole point is the person in public prayer is leading the prayer. The we are speaking together as one person gives voice. But it still continues to theme. We dress up perhaps to show the fact that we care about the Lord and want to do our best for him. Maybe sometimes it becomes, well, I just really want to be seen as someone who dresses up. We show up early, even read our Bible. Not so we can find something that helps someone else, but so we can share some keen insight and then have people think that there's something good in us. we have reason to be reminded that the people around us are not our gods. God is the one we are seeking to please, and his approval, which we have secured for us in Christ, is the one we really need. Jesus continues to show that they do their works to be seen by men, Talk about their loves, their passions, their desires. They love the uppermost rooms at feasts. They love the chief places in the synagogue. They love to have places of prominence, places of honor. And they love to be greeted. They love to be known and recognized. And known and recognized as rabbi. They love for people to think of them as respected. For them, it's that they love to be respected as being masterful in teaching. Perhaps for us, it's something different. That they want what they think they're good at to be noticed by others, and so for them to be thus greeted that way. Thus to be greeted. It's far too easy to live as if other people's impressions of us matter. It's far too easy to live as if it's about us. That there's some worth that we get in our own flesh and bone, in our own strength, in the works of righteousness we do. But just as it is by becoming like a little child, just as it is by recognizing our spiritual bankruptcy. Blessed are the poor in spirit that we enter into and possess the kingdom of heaven. So it continues to not be about us. It's not about what other people think. It's about what God thinks. It's not about what type of praise we can receive, and it's certainly not about placing burdens upon others and not helping them lift it. Our strength is not in what we own, not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the blood shed of Jesus Christ at the cross. are right. Our worth is in Jesus' blood shed. And underneath in that we are all equal and cannot be living, trying to be seen as unequal by others around us. His yoke is easy. His is buried in his light. Let's come to him to find rest for our souls. Father God, we didn't get as far in Matthew today as I was expecting us to. And I know we got as far in Matthew as you were expecting us to. And we ask that we would continue to be reminded and continue to learn that it's not about us. It's about that which we're about to celebrate in the Lord's Supper. It's about Christ, the true successor to the seed of Moses. It's about Christ who bore our sin and gave to us a light and easy burden. Lord, help us to see it, help us to know it, and help us to rejoice in so knowing. Pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Aroma for Christ sermons from the pulpit of the Faustoria of Baptist Church. Do you remember 2 Corinthians 2:15 through16? For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things?